Hi, I'm Ryan, the grousey rules guy. I'm Ben, the low-key player. I'm Helen, the antagonistic storyteller. And I'm Jared, the whoops, my bad, game master. Together, we are the Starting Equipment Podcast. Okay, folks, let's start off today's podcast by playing a game. You're the GM. Things are going well. You and your players have been playing together for a few months, and you have found a rhythm that works for all of you. Camaraderie is high. You're telling a fun story. You all love it. Everyone is contributing. Huzzah. All is grand in the land of make-believe. Then you screw it up. You contradict yourself. You just said that an NPC shows up and does something dramatic. A major plot point invokes the Fae, demands a baby through the law of surprise. As soon as the words leave your mouth, you remember your heart sinking. Oh shit. This NPC is dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. What do you do? Well, clearly this is all part of some dramatic reveal. Either they were never dead or they were brought back by something behind the scenes. Clearly. Alternatively, maybe they were a little bit dead before and they're not now and that's their business not yours mind your own fucking business it was a ruse the entire time they're not actually them they're someone else so what all three of these answers have in common is that they are all rolling with it when you screw up the worst thing that you can do is to like wallow in your screw it upness and make it a bigger thing unless it is game breaking you screw up you try and fix it you roll with the punches this is where your improvisational skills As Jared can tell you better than me, yes and is your best friend. And the corollary that is more advanced which a couple of these are, is no but. You never just want to cut off a conversation. It is okay to stop it if you're going down a a path, but you always need to put it on a new path. So what's our challenge rating? What are we doing today? What do we mean by screwing up? Whose screw-ups are we talking about? And most importantly, is your game ruined forever? Definitely. Probably not. Let's quickly define a screw-up in this case. A screw-up is any choice that makes the game less fun. It's that simple. These are simple mistakes, and my friends, you are going to make them. Most of the time, these are really tiny things and not worth worrying about before or after. We're talking about how to avoid the big ones, the things that can derail a session or even a whole game. Everyone can make mistakes, and they can all affect the game, but we're really going to focus on the things the GM does in this episode. The GM is usually the person most responsible for the foundation of the game, and so their mistakes can be easily very disruptive. Yeah, when someone's laying the foundation for a story and they screw it up, you've got a bad foundation to build your story on. And hey, newer GMs or people who have never GM'd before but think they might want to, this isn't to scare you or drive you away from GMing. That's an absolute blast. Mistakes don't mean you're a bad GM. They happen to absolutely everyone in all walks of life, and you don't have to be afraid of them. We're just trying to give advice on how to minimize the impact once you've done it. And also, if you do really screw up, always remember that you can move to another country, change your name, and get entirely new friends. Yes, because that's the solution to a minor social mistake. (laughs) Some of us have worse social anxiety than the others, Jared. I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, that's what I want to do every time. I just don't do it. I just go get a drink of water and come back and pretend uh, the last hour didn't happen. We can't possibly talk about every way that something could have gone wrong or something that leads to confusion and frustration. These are some big categories of mistakes drawn from our experiences and how we propose to address them. So first, let's set the difficulty. How do these problems happen? What do they look like? Can we prevent them before they start? Now, there are lots of forms that mistakes at the table can take to cause disruption. They all have their own causes and the way you approach them will in large part depend on the interplay between that root cause and the table that you're playing at. Let's start by outlining the biggest problems, both how they happen and when they are avoidable, how to avoid them. To do this, we're going to sort these into two big categories first, disruptions in the narrative and disruptions to the table. By disruptions in the narrative, we mean situations where information provided in the game is inconsistent in some way, inconsistent with the established timeline, inconsistent with the genre or tone, or inconsistent with the established facts about setting. If you're watching a show where magic is part of the setting and you're given the rules of magic early on in the first season, but then by season two, those rules are just routinely getting fudged or bent or no one seems to notice or acknowledge it. That's the kind of problem we're calling disruption in the narrative. Or that thing that somebody points out is, oops, there's a continuity error. Somebody left a soda can visible in the Arthur's court. Whoopsie daisy. Oh yeah, they spent the first 
couple seasons of Supernatural talking about how they can't make any more bullets to the magic gun. And then they figured out how to make bullets for the magic gun. And then they made a magic knife. And then they started killing Angel. So we're talking about a sudden shift in the established expectations of this shared imaginary space. The setting or timeline of your game in a way that causes confusion or frustration rather than excitement or interest. And we're not saying that you can't have sudden shifts. We're talking about the times when it doesn't work or it was unexpected. Yeah, sudden shifts are great when they're planned and reveals and there is emotional payoff for them and you've been building to them. But when it's just a screw up, it's not so great. When you just broke the rules of your magic system because you forgot your magic system for two minutes because it's been a long day, that's not a great narrative shift. That's the thing that you're going to have to fix. Alternatively, we're defining a disruption of the table as a situation where disruption is not inherent to your narrative space, to your story, but more about how either the way you deliver the information or the information itself affects the human beings sitting in. For instance, think of a video game that says it has a karma system where your choice Choices matter. They make an impact on the narrative. But as you're playing, you find that actually outside of a context of certain given quests, everything works out the same way every time. Cough, cough, Mass Effect 2, cough, cough. Cough, cough, Fallout, cough, cough. Wow, wow, both Bethesda games, well done. <laughs> How about Infamous? Infamous? Huh? That's not a Bethesda game. Hey, yeah. You meet a whole different NPC and your hair changes in Infamous. Okay. That's, I mean, I can't deny that. In Infamous 2, you either get cold powers or fire powers. Yeah. Anyways, back to the podcast that we're actually doing and not the podcast we were about to spiral off into. In a video game, having that fake choice of a karma system is one thing. You can only expect so much from a pre-packaged experience. But in tabletop, RPGs are supposed to be emergent. This is a feeling like your characters are acting in and is part of the story and that they should therefore be able to make choices of consequence within that story. If you find that nothing your characters do in a game seem to matter, or that all of your challenges and conflicts seem scripted, or in-game choices by the GM feel out of step with what you're hoping from the table, you're experiencing a disruption to the table. Probably a big one, and you should probably talk about it. No, we are specifically not calling this a disruption at the table, but to the table. We are specifically using the more active language here because it's critical that these mistakes are dealt with right away and decisively. It's better to think of these as very blurry categories. One can cause the other, one can be a little bit of both, and so forth. But I hope you find this a useful model to approach problems in-game. Okay, let's tackle the bigger and more obvious problem first. Disruptions to the table. So first off is the most common one and the biggest one, railroading. <laughs> This is when the GM <laughs> this is when the GM really wants the story as they imagined it to happen. And so they push the story in that direction that no matter what the players do. It is metaphorically putting your players on a single track where they can't affect the outcome, turning them into unwilling passengers in the GM's story. Especially for a new GM, this is a common problem. I've, I've been guilty of it myself. This is a huge problem. It can absolutely ruin a session or an entire game in a hurry. Being a prop in someone else's story isn't fun. Watching long dialogues between NPCs acted out by the same person isn't fun. What, you're not here for soliloquy night? I'm not here for soliloquy night, no. What we are here for is to tell stories together. The fun is in discovering our world that we are making together. You hear that word? together. Sometimes we forget that this isn't the GM's story. They don't rule the group. It's a communal story that the GM is stage managing. That's it. The GM isn't in charge. They aren't dominating the group, or they shouldn't be anyway. They're the stage manager. Railroading, like almost every problem in the world, the severity of it differs wildly. It is easy to accidentally start railroading your party on the mild end of the spectrum. Often I think knowing the difference between what's positive and negative in this case really boils down to the definition given at the top the disruption to the table, causing the game to be less fun. Yeah, gotta be really clear here. Gently pushing your players towards a story with hooks and clues and interesting shiny stuff that says, come look at me, that's not railroading. That's just storytelling. Especially if you're in a one or a few shot or a campaign with a defined meta plot, indicating what the story will be about and guiding the players towards that end is not railroading. Narrative 
adventure is good. If you tell the players we're playing a Call of Cthulhu adventure, they should probably make characters who want to be in a Call of Cthulhu adventure. No one wants to be in a Call of Cthulhu adventure. You but, should make characters who you will enjoy watching be in a Call of Cthulhu yes, adventure. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. And for players, if you know the game is only going to be a couple sessions long and the plot is go investigate the theme park for the MacGuffin, don't be the guy who says my character gets in a taxi and goes to spend the day at the beach. A general expectation that you will play the game in front of you is not being railroaded. Where you start to get into problematic end of railroading is if you throw a hook out there and your players are more interested in something else in the world or want to solve the problem in a way you didn't think of and you slam them back onto your path. I have seen GMs literally have every other NPC in a town slam their doors in the party's face other than the one the GM wanted them to talk to. A character the party didn't want to talk to because they didn't find them interesting and had made the active choice that we're going to go look for somebody else with the information because we don't want to talk to this NPC. Literally the only person other than that NPC in the whole city the party could get to talk to them was an innkeeper who just said, oh yeah, you guys should go talk to the NPC. He's in that room. He's the only person in town who talks to foreigners, which the party was, and then refused to acknowledge them again. It was laughably bad and created a really serious party versus GM conflict. Unsurprisingly, that game only lasted like one more session after that. I'm going to draw the comparison to video games again, because that's the situation of you walk into the town where your reputation store is still very low and none of the NPCs will talk to you except for the quote-unquote shopkeep NPC who won't trade with you but just tries to direct you to the plot and that's the only thing they repeat saying over and over until you go talk to the NPC. Yep, that's exactly where we were. That's what happens when everyone in the party makes charisma their dump stat. <laughs> we didn't. We had social characters. He just... the uh, uh. Anyway, anyway. Rage! <laughs> You should always be enabling your party to do what they need to to find the fun. If you notice that your party isn't engaging with the story as you intended, what to do is simple. Stop the action and talk to your group out of character. Ask some questions and try and find out what's going on. A list of things to keep in mind or to ask are, hey, you guys don't seem to be engaging with my plot. Is it confusing? Is it boring? Is there something else you'd rather pursue that's in front of you? Oftentimes, if you are playing a game that has a bunch of story threads, they may just be focused on another one right then, which is totally fine. Just start emphasizing that thread and kind of table what you had going on. Some other questions might be, is there an NPC you don't like? Is this story thread interesting? Is there another type of activity or story you guys would like to be engaging in that we're not doing here? Do you not feel like your character has a way to interact with this plotline? Or should we take a break for a bit? Which truly, this is not necessarily a condemnation of your work as a storyteller. The transition from feeling it to not feeling it, where pieces of media are concerned, are pretty much instantaneous and sometimes just boil down to a gut feeling. Like maybe there aren't intricate answers to any of the questions above. Maybe the answer is just a sigh and I don't know, man, I'm just not feeling it right now. And that's okay. You can roll with that too. As someone who struggles with paying attention all the time, sometimes I'm just not going to feel it. I was about to mention a specific case of that. We had a time in Hunter where like the whole group wasn't really interacting and I was like, hey guys, do you not like this story? Are we not doing it? And Ben was just like, can we talk about sports for 10 minutes? And we talked about sports for 10 minutes and then everybody was back in it. We just needed to not be doing the thing for a second and that's fine. Before we go to the next part, I want to mention a different kind of railroading we haven't talked about yet, which oh. I have just named rail switching, which is where the GM makes a plot but hasn't finished it or doesn't have a part where you can interact with yet. So they introduce it and you try and interact with it, but then they suddenly like, yeah, no, you can't go that way. They're, the corridor is full of mist. You have to come back. That is absolutely railroading or rail switching, as I've now decided that's going to be called. I really hope I don't do that. That's like, again, a Bethesda games thing. So the, the best advice I've ever seen about that is when you introduce a plot, you need to have at least enough of it ready that if the player decide, no, we're solving this tonight, 
you can improvise your way through to the end. <laughs> or take five minutes, come back and be ready. This is actually an easy one to accidentally fall into because we've all heard the stories and had the experience of, well, you all enter this new place looking for plot information that for what you've been doing for the last three sessions. But then one of the characters sidles up to a bar and meets Bar Tab Jim. And all of a sudden, you need to figure out what happened happened and who hurt Bartab Jim and everything else you just have to drop it and figure out what you're going to do with this NPC you named off of a random character generator 30 seconds ago because the story is about them now that's my whole life with you bastards <laughs> I mean there is something and I think I'm uh slightly re- repeating here but there is something to be said for when you're in the middle of a really tense for just being like, okay, real life is real intense right now. I would like this game session to be about chasing some dumb monster that I can easily solve and won't have worldwide consequences, regardless of my choices. For real. Players, if you are feeling that way, please, 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 please tell your GMs. They will not be upset. GMs love those sessions. They take way less planning. They are still fun. They let you do silly things. Things, just tell a dude. This does involve some self-reflection. As we have been playing Hunter for past six years, I have seven. Over seven now. Wow. Seven now. Started more and more to realize when I needed one of those sessions. That's an indication of burnout. That's some burnout management. Just being aware of it as you go, catching it, and not letting yourself get ground up by it. And there are games where I didn't do that, and now I can't play them anymore. <laughs> you murder everyone or something? No, it's just like, I can't play Werewolf the Apocalypse right now, because I can't play a game that's about staring down the hopeless death of all life in the world and Gaia. Like, I can't do that right now. Jesus, I, I'm not Because I didn't pay attention to my burnout. Okay, let's, not to <laughs> railroad our podcast, but let's <laughs> The next GM screw. It's not railroading. We're following our outline. Okay, so the next problem. It's rail switching, sorry. (laughs) The boring choice. This is, without a doubt, the most frustrating type of screw up for me because it isn't made by being careless or not knowing your party well enough or getting confused. This is just plain, you make a bad choice. You screw it up. A lot of the time, the party never even knows. A lot of the time when I make a mistake like this when I realized that later there was a thing that ISGM could have done that was way more interesting. What I did is still good enough and the party tells me they have a great time and I don't think my party is nice enough to lie to me that way. But when things stall because I just couldn't think of anything interesting, it feels awful. This is like the one thing on the list that I don't know how to avoid and frankly, I love some advice from you. This is, I think, the easiest one to not see coming, Particularly when you think, I've got this really cool idea and I'm going to throw out all these hooks and I can think of all the ways I would engage with it and you introduce it and it just kind of falls flat and you're wondering what happened. And the real answer is, who knows? Maybe it was just if you had introduced it on a different day at a different time of night. I don't know. My anxiety gets in the way at that point usually because what I hate most is feeling like I'm the only one who's excited about something while everyone else is bored. It just makes my chest seize up. So the only way that I know, frankly, is to just ask. You have to ask, what's up? What's going on? Am I missing the mark? Did I misread? How can I help make this connection? Because if I don't ask, then my anxiety will make up the answer and then I'll just be miserable. And meanwhile, my friends won't have had their actual feelings heard or addressed. You just have to simply call a timeout and ask. Or take a timeout, grab yourself a drink, figure out, I didn't expect this. What am I going to do? Oh my God, what am I going to do? I come up with something that's cool rather than just sit at the table like um uh, the goblin dies i guess you can also do yourself a little bit of a favor and try and throw it back to the party come up with some slight clever way that gives them an opportunity to interact with whatever it was and find their fun again. Depending on how long you end up going, depending on how your party feels about making friends, you might end up with a raft of NPCs who might be very 
very capable and competent. And then you might find yourself in a situation where the party has a legitimate issue that they could legitimately go to one of the NPCs for. And you're wondering, well, I don't want them to just offload this onto my NPCs so that we have soliloquy night. I, I have to figure out how to translate a blank NPC look back to the players so that they will solve the problem that I put in front of them. That can be a problem. I've done that in the game. I had to have an NPC get ambushed and wounded so the players would stop bringing him in all their combat encounters. We do that to Jared all of the time because he'll give us a plot and we'll be like, don't we know like five people who deal with this specifically? And he'll be like, yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So the time recently when I felt like I made the biggest, most egregious, I've made a boring choice where I was just sitting there kicking myself for making the lame choice. It happened last month. We had just finished a major story arc and had done a brief time skip forward so that the local political situation had time to settle down and so that our characters had time to heal. We talked about what we wanted to do when our party got back together, when we started up the time flow again, and the party wanted to set up a formal alliance between all of their allies and create a, like, supernaturals who try not to hurt people for no reason and want to keep our hometown safe club. And what I did, the choice I I made for reasons passing understanding was I just went, okay, how do you want to go about it? And they were like, well, we should talk to them. And then we spent two entire sessions, six hours of our lives having one-on-one conversations with seven years worth of allies. Frequently in a split party. Some of the conversations were interesting, (laughs) but overall, I feel like it was the most tedious and boring time we've had in seven years. I was kicking myself the whole time because halfway through the fourth of like eight or nine of these conversations, I realized what I should have done. Any guesses? What would you all have done? I probably would have at least done some, either a montage, because everyone loves a good montage, or some kind of fast forward to at least get through some of that. So it doesn't have to be blow by blow played out. I think also we should provide some context for the situation too, because this is a good example of outside circumstances running headlong into an in-game problem. We were just coming off of a hiatus for, I think, over a month. And so everyone had some rust to shake off, us included. We didn't have an option to not take that break. Real life happens that way. But as it was, we might have just flown through that scenario if we weren't coming off of, what, six weeks without playing? And so after six weeks or so without playing, we ended up at the point where, okay, now let's do that complex social political intrigue to balance the goals of half a dozen supernatural factions. And me Meanwhile, in my brain, I'm actually going, what was the rolling syntax for the server dice bot again? And like, that's nobody's fault. That's just how it goes sometimes. I think that's really important context for the scenario. And maybe if we hadn't been coming off that break, it wouldn't have been boring and I could have gotten away with what I did. But even then, what I should have done, absolutely more interesting choice was I should have had the time skip end. Our first scene back should have been all of you with all of your allies in a big room and say, okay, make your pitch. It would have had all the drama and the same end result while taking a tenth the time and having way more interesting roleplay. Would have also, as a side note, given me the opportunity to seed a bunch of story hooks. Whoops. But I don't think what we did was all that terrible in the grand scheme of things. Like, I don't think it ruined anybody's feelings about the game. Nope. No, no, absolutely not. But it was a missed opportunity. And I think it was the biggest missed opportunity I have ever walked myself into as a GM. So next, this is a big topic all on its own, but we'll just touch on it here. Making your players uncomfortable as a disruption to the table. We've talked about tools to handle this a bunch of times before, so we're not going to go over it in detail here. But as a GM, making your players feel icky sucks. It is an absolutely terrible feeling. By far, the best tool here is prevention. If you're not familiar with safety tools in gaming, it's worth a Google, or you can listen to our Session Zero episode where we talk about this subject extensively. Self-plug. And it's worth saying that this can happen even if you have proper safety tools in place and people are taking each other's joy seriously. You have to be on the lookout if a player starts acting 
acting in a way that's different from normal. Keep an eye on them. And when it's appropriate, ask if everything is okay. Maybe they're just out of it this session because they're exhausted or having some big life event going on and they want to play, but need it to take a more backseat role tonight. Or maybe you're on new ground that they hadn't considered and are realizing that, oh my God, I have a new veil or line that I didn't know about and just don't want to interrupt my GM as I feel cripplingly socially awkward. Mood, honestly. Fucking mood. (laughs) I've discovered something about myself tonight and I hate it. (laughs) That's real life, man. (laughs) Well, I've discovered something and it's that I didn't realize I had to say this, you guys. Wow. That's also true. (laughs) Sometimes. But whatever, whatever it is, don't make them sit there getting more and more uncomfortable. If you notice something is off, ask what's going on. So I was playing a game in college and there was a big bad who could control swarms of pests. If bugs are aligned for you, you should probably go ahead and skip like a minute ahead in this episode. So we had run into this big bad a couple times and they had attacked us with spiders, rats. Everyone was having a great time. We ran into this big bad in an apartment building and he attacked the group with swarms of roaches. All the roaches in a high rise apartment building just boiling out of the walls in this one hallway between the wallpaper and the wall, like a wriggling see and the walls had come alive and just as our GM was describing them starting to tear through the wallpaper one of our players went white. I like legit thought the guy was gonna pass out. Turns out we didn't know because he didn't want to talk about the stress of life. He was here to like get away from it all but he had just had to move out of a new apartment like a week after he moved in because they had a really bad roach infestation and he hadn't even realized it himself but roaches were now a hard line for him. Dude was absolutely shocked that it bothered him but he looked like he was gonna throw up and then pass out. There's a bit where we put safety mechanics aside and we just kind of have to fall back on what we hope is common sense and common decency. So players are not their characters. Characters can commit terrible acts for reasons that are supported by the narrative and that doesn't necessarily affect them players as people. But that's also not necessarily a free pass to gratuitously describe acts of egregious fantasy violence that mirrors actual real life violence and tragedies visited upon people every day. Especially without everyone at the table being a hundred read in and in agreement on that particular tone. The other part of prevention is just being cognizant that fixating on depravity and violence for its own sake is liable to result in crossing a line or a limit that either the table or an individual may not even realize they had until they were stuck in a situation of discomfort. If your players ever seem to forget the specific character choice is an act of depravity just because it's being done to a villain, sit and think about the environment you're creating or participating in in that game and be aware that you're much more likely to cross lines or limits. Either the GM or the players don't realize they have. The D&D murder hobo fantasy violence simulator aesthetic where murdering and killing sapient peoples is absolutely a setting norm definitely plays into these risks. And at the same time, I remember vividly the kind of player in various World of Darkness games who, when asked to ease off the gas a little bit, responded, it's the world of darkness, not the world of dimness. If you can't handle that. You shouldn't be here. And pro tip, they're wrong. They shouldn't be here. They, You should kick them out of their your game because if they aren't willing to contribute to making the space safe for everyone in the game, they're not good people and you shouldn't play with them. Full stop. So I had a friend who ran D&D for a long time and he switched to an Eberron game and he even told the players ahead of time like this is Eberron. Eberron's a very cosmopolitan setting. There aren't really inherently evil cultures or anything. One of the players didn't pay attention to that so he ended up killing some guy and he became a serial killer in the setting because the guards were looking for this guy who was just going around murdering people. Whoop. Yeah, I think D&D is trying to be a little bit better about there aren't just inherently evil people, but that is a very big and legitimate complaint about that whole property and that whole genre. Let's shift gears now to talking about disruptions to the narrative. First up, wreaking continuity. Sometimes, no matter how carefully you GM, you are going to contradict yourself. Except for me! The longer your game lasts, such as seven years, say, the more common this is going to be. You can cut back on the number of these by keeping careful notes, but if your game gets complicated enough, it's just going to be inevitable. 
In our Hunter game, we have played approximately 330 three and a half hour sessions. We have played approximately 1200 hours with the same characters in the same world. My notes are over 100 pages long and we have literally hundreds of named NPCs. This is a mystery investigation game. So over the course of our lifetime of our game, we've had thousands of, I take great notes as do multiple of our players, but sometimes you're just gonna forget the name of that NPC who was critical to a subplot four fucking years ago. Wow, 1,200 hours? That's almost near my Civ time. (laughs) (laughs) Woof, double the sadness. When you notice that you screw up a detail, fix it ASAP. Clarify what you meant to say, what is really going on. Usually it won't derail you too much unless you fail to notice it for a while. Usually it won't derail you too much unless you fail to notice it for a while. When you screw up big, when you create a major continuity problem, you have two choices. I recommend picking whichever will be the most fun or create the least disruption. Solution one, just come clean with the table and wreck on the situation. Pretend it never happened. Roll back as far as you need to in the roleplay to not have to be disruptive and just move on. Explain why as much as you can. Work with the players. They'll be able to help decide where to insert the rollback for the least chaos. We're not playing mind games with our friends here. Just be clear that you messed up and you need a do-over. You don't have to be perfect. Solution two. And okay, I'm letting our listeners in on a big secret, something I have literally never told the three members of my party who co-host this podcast with me. It's a thing I do. Confession time. I've only had to do this two or three times but I've had to do it. When there is a major continuity issue and it has had a big enough effect on the game that you can't easily roll it back and you're quick enough on your feet to notice it before your party does, just lie to them. Lie to your party. Pretend it was always a part of your secret master plan and make it a reveal that shows something new about the world. Just roll with it. Then you're going to be able to insert like a a thunderclap or a dun-dun-dun sting (laughs) in here, I assume, for that dramatic reveal. Maybe a massive gasp. We, We can do that. We can do that. I think you should put in the no from Darth Vader in episode three. I don't really want us to be DMCA'd by Disney to eternity. That's fine. That's fair. What about the scream that's in everything? That scream. The Wilhelm scream. Yeah, that one. Just insert that. We could do that. So now you put yourself on the spot, Jared. When did you do that? So the one that sticks out is we had two NPCs. Both of them were changelings. I had originally intended for one of these to be a part of the changeling conspiracy the party was investigating and for the other changeling to help the party and eventually offer to be a double agent and a way in. That was my plan. But I mixed up the names and had the guy who was supposed to help them and eventually be a turncoat for them do some like obvious bad guy stuff not okay. And there was no coming back from it so I just switched it and the whole group of changelings were in on it and were trying to corrupt our party and tried to make a bargain with our party. So instead of there being like two bad changelings in this community and the rest of them are morally gray to good. We just ended up with six changelings who are all in something evil. Another day, another bewildering supernatural crime scene to cover up with a targeted arson. I mean, we never knew, right? Is that the reason why we keep mixing up Roland and Ronald? No, no, no. It's not that. This is just originally Ronald, who is one of these changeling NPCs, was supposed to be not involved in the plot of capturing children. And he was supposed to just help you. And then... We met Roland. Later. But he wasn't involved in that first set of stuff. He was... But he was because he was... Because he was an oathbreaker. That's why the other changelings wouldn't deal with him. Because he was an oathbreaker because he helped us. Eventually. Yeah, you earned his trust and he became an oathbreaker and now nobody wants to talk to him and won't invite him to their birthday party. We'll invite him to exactly one birthday party. It's Pixie's birthday party because she loves him. But anyways, you, you changed it, but it wasn't something that you had to change that we were aware of. That's why I say like I was quick enough on my feet, but I was definitely like, oh, I just put myself in a situation where the story I had planned to tell no longer works because I screwed up. I'm going to roll with it. And I was, you know, quick enough on my feet that it didn't make it to the point of mistake that you all knew about it. But in my head, I was like, oh, red alert, red alert. We've ruined the plan. And that's a great example of rolling with it. Because at that point, it's not lying. It's I'm taking this and I'm making this reality now. That's fair. Okay, next, breaking the rules. Maybe it's GM Fiat. Maybe you just forgot how a rule worked in this setting. Either way, you're now in a corner. You have done something against the rules. There are many instances in which 
this one could cross the line into railroading, but we're going to address it primarily as a disruption to the narrative. So I've said it before as advice I've gotten about building a character. Character sheet is a contract. You are telling the GM how you want to engage with the game. And as a side note, we are not talking about having to stop and looking up a rule. We mean you made a calling of the rule that was incorrect and realize it later. Or maybe even realize it in the middle of a combat. Yeah. The mechanics are part of this contract. They're the systems and subsystems that are shared by the table, mutually agreed upon by all parties to adjudicate the effect of actions on the world. And so rule of cool aside, common sense limitations aside, if a player wants to make a change in the environment and the degree of their success or failure is relevant to the direction of the game, the mechanics are one method to mediate that outcome. If you change the mechanics from the book, like for homebrew rules, you need to tell the players so that they can adjust their playstyle accordingly. Otherwise, you're no longer observing the shared terms laid out in that contract to adjudicate outcomes. And if you selectively choose to ignore or change a rule as it applies to NPCs and then not allow players the same option, you're introducing confusion into the collaboration. GM Fiat with mechanics is a complex complex subject. It relies a lot on goodwill at the table and your ability to openly and honestly communicate with players about what's going on behind the screen. Incidentally, this may also be the best way to deal with it if you find yourself accidentally or unintentionally or, or into changing up a mechanic. Be open and honest and ask for a quick break if you need to reevaluate. Present it to the table, talk it out, come up with a solution that seems fair to everyone. The mechanics are just one way to mediate outcomes fairly. The other is actual mediation. And before we move on, several systems try to help with this by including a meta currency in the game. It specifically allows the GM to do a fiat by paying off the players. 7th C and Mutants and Masterminds in particular come to mind there. Final point we're going to make in this section, incorrectly scaled challenges. And oh boy, there's a lot to be said on Twitter, tabletop RPG discourse about scaling and what part it plays in a game. And we are not going to touch most of that. All right, so let's say your characters have arrived at a situation where, whether by their own actions or the actions of NPCs, they're now at a serious risk of not just character death, but maybe even the dreaded TPK, total party kill. You didn't want this to happen. Maybe you didn't realize those extra couple of flaming skulls would do that much damage or that the party would split up when they did and the least combat capable pair of your characters would stumble into the big bad lair without their combat monsters nearby. Uh, what Whatever happened, the end result is that now, the, if the encounter plays out the way you thought it would, it's going to be a short session and maybe even a short campaign. The temptation to slam the Deus Ex Machina button may be strong. The temptation to just fudge the mechanics may be strong if you let the scene play out the way you initially expected it to go. At the end of the day, this is going to boil down to a philosophical question. Do you let the consequences, unintentional or not, ride as written even if it ends in a TPK? Or do you adapt on the fly to either lessen the blow or change the scenario to a more favorable one? And this is really a question for the whole table in Session Zero, because it has a lot to do with the flavor of the game as well as long-term implications for the story. Honestly, the other option here, and it's the one that I as a GM like to use the most, is just remind yourself that there are lots of other ways for scenes to resolve themselves than in combat. Even in games where the majority of the mechanics revolve around combat, this might take for calling for a water break so you can brainstorm or or whatever it is you guys want to do. But the stakes can always get much, much higher than just boring old death. And in my opinion, that's precisely why it's not a cop-out to avoid killing characters as a GM. As long as the characters are alive, they can have bigger problems. And the moment they die, they have no more problems and the story is over. So this is just skimming over the top of this. It is a whole debate, a whole spectrum of what people prefer to do and how to handle it. And if you're really interested in that, by all means, you can dive into tabletop discourse on Twitter and go at it. <laughs> or never go on Twitter ever. That, that's another option. That. That, that's, that's, not... that's the healthier choice. No, there are a lot of creators who do a lot of great work in the space, go find them on Twitter and ignore or, the rest or of it. Or they could get real websites and type things like <laughs> So anyways. Good human beings. <laughs> so 
is an interesting note. Fifth uh, D and D actually assumes that all dice rolls are in public view. There are a ton of powers that mention you can re-roll this, but you have to roll it after the die is rolled before you know the outcome. So the assumption is everyone rolls where everyone can see it, but the GM won't tell you the monster stats or scores directly. They won't tell you what's AC. They'll let you figure it out by, well, I got a 13. Is that hit? No. Okay. I got a 15. Is that hit? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's totally an option too. We're doing it. It's all out here in the open. What will happen will happen. Okay. It's time to pick your approach. The screw up has occurred. The silence or confusion at your table is building. How do you fix it? We talked about some of the specific ways to handle each of the types of screw ups in our previous section, but we wanted to mention here the general tactics that can help smooth out any of these problems. Before we get into any of these though, let's first ask the obvious question. Did you actually screw up? Remember from our definition that a screw up in our context negatively impacts the game in some way. Has the game been negatively impacted? Which is to say, is everyone at the table okay with or even enjoying the thing you thought was a mistake? Like in Jared's example, no one was. If the answer is no, then something is wrong and proceed with correcting the course. If the answer is yes, then take a look at that. Disclaimer, if you, the GM, are uncomfortable with the situation at hand, you absolutely don't have to assess further if you don't want to. You're part of that yes and no, your safety and feelings matter. If you're surprised by the realization that no one else thought what happened was a mistake, then finding the reason why they don't think it was a mistake may give you insight into what they are most enjoying about your game or about how they envisioned your story playing out. And that can tell you about how to proceed moving forward. So when I initially started making our outline for this podcast, giving you a brief behind the scenes look here, I had a story that I listed as a gigantic mistake. And I think it's one of the bigger mistakes I have made as a GM. And then Helen literally messaged me and was like, you realize that that wasn't a mistake at all. It was great fun. And so I think it's important for us to realize the difference between perspectives and what had happened. So the story and jump in whenever you want, Helen, in our hunter game, they all started as regular people. They all eventually are going to pick up a supernatural type. We have a werewolf, a mage, and Helen wanted to be a changeling, someone who was taken by the Fae and replaced. That replacement is what is called a fetch. It thinks it's the real person, but it's not. And so to kind of initiate this process, this was a surprise. This was a surprise I discussed with Jared. We didn't tell the other players about it. The goal was that over time, the character attributes begin to diverge until potentially it hit a point where the other people in the party were like, wait a minute, she would absolutely never apologize for doing that, you know? And what kind of ended up happening was after discussing it with Jared, we agreed with Jared will take what he considered blame for this, but we agreed that we kind of wanted this to be a slow burn. And the result was that character development was so gradual that it really came off to all the other characters as this character has just recently gone through some shit and took a hard look at their behavior and has started to make some really positive steps for their own self-image and has really just kind of come out of it a better, warmer person. The part of it that I consider a up is that multiple times throughout this process, Helen came to me and was like, should I push harder? Should I make it more obvious? And every time I was like, no, let's keep it a slow burn. Let's keep it a slow burn. And I think that I made it too slow to the point where when we eventually wanted the story to go that way and wanted them to realize that the real character had been taken and they needed to go rescue her, I basically had to hit the party over the head with a hammer. We like basically had to do a deus ex machina because we had back ourselves into a corner by small change after small change. And the reason that I didn't think this was a mistake, though, is because the story I specifically wanted to tell was Changeling is frequently set up for the the fetch to be an antagonist. They're the shadow of you that goes on and lives your life after you've been stolen by the Fae. You come back to find that nobody missed you because maybe this not you has already chased off your entire family or gotten fired or etc. Ruined your life. You have nothing to go back to. But we're playing hunters. All these characters are monster hunters. 
if I introduce the fetch as a monster, then that's a very easy problem to solve. A less easy problem to solve is what if you come back from Arcadia and find out that the shadow of you, the least of you, is somehow better than you ever were, and it's the monster that they care about, not you. I want to be clear. I think that that is one of the best stories we have ever told together, and I think that that whole arc was amazing. The part of it that I consider to be a mistake and considered to be a big mistake is that because of my mismanagement of how quickly we doled out that information, had to just have NPCs walk up to the party and be like, your friend is missing and you didn't notice. Instead of, I wanted to have that moment of them figuring it out on their own. And my too soft touch ruined that cool moment. That's our example of Jared has his opinion on how that worked and that's totally valid. Meanwhile, for the rest of us, that went off great. So, let's say you've all talked and something has gone out of whack. Something is sticking, something is wrong. Take a break. It's that simple. If something goes wrong and you don't know how to fix it, don't compound the problem by rushing or being embarrassed. Just take a five minute break and think about how best to fix it. Talk to your players. This isn't just your game as a GM. This is everybody's story. Talk to them about how they would like to proceed. Many thinky heads think better than one thinky head. There is a good chance your group will see an elegant solution that you on your own just don't see. The only one of the types listed above that's really kind of hard to talk about is the boring choice because it can be hard to discuss alternatives while not ruining any potential surprises that you had planned. Just be clear about that too. Like, hey folks, I had some points planned here that I was going to reveal later, but I thought I'm missing the mark with my hooks to draw the characters in. Let's talk about where everybody's at right now. Just be upfront. You can also just do a rollback. If you notice something has gone wonky soon enough, just ask everyone, hey, I think there was a mistake here or a misunderstanding. Let's just roll back a few minutes. How does everybody feel about that? The retcon. Retcon stands for retroactive continuity, and it basically means you just state that something happened different earlier than it had played out and move forward operating as though the original way never happened. Just operate with the new stated past. Terrible for governments and politicians, but great for role-playing games. And it can frequently solve a problem quickly and without requiring the group to cover too much of the same territory. Like, oh, uh, yeah, you found shotgun shells earlier, not 9mm rounds. My bad. Can I get terrible for governments and politicians, but great for role-playing games on a t-shirt? We should sell that. Yes. We should sell that. We could sell a bunch of And the merchandise is born. Um, Retcon. Terrible <laughs> politician. Great for role-playing games. No, no. You don't, you don't need to put retcon You don't provide any context. It's There's just no context. terrible for politicians. Great for role-playing games. Here's the thing. You have a bunch of these shirts. Retcon. Great for natural 20s. Great. You know, it's... That's the whole tagline. That's our new that's our new tagline for the whole show. Okay. Terrible uh, great for role playing games. If you screw up, I know that this one seems obvious, but just apologize. It frequently isn't obvious because we as a society are all very bad at this. That's totally fair. If you do something that makes the game feel less fun for your party, don't just feel bad about it. Take responsibility for fixing it and then move on so you don't ruin your own fun. Don't be bummed about it and let it get you all self-conscious and then you hate the game. Apologize. Make a plan to fix it and get back to having fun. All right. Final note here. Some people don't like to do roll box or retcons. They just want to fix it now and move forward. And depending on what the issue is, that may be fine. And it has the best advantage of, it keeps things moving. You don't have to really stop and derail everything. If it's just a small issue, like this is my bad. We did that mechanic wrong. We're going to do it right going forward. The other thing to be said about that is depending on how far back the mistake was, there may have been interactions in character that individuals, players found valuable that if you do a full rollback, Oh, well, shit, did that not happen? You know, maybe you can work it into a retcon. But again, maybe you just go forward. Maybe you just fix it going forward. Time to roll the dice. How do you avoid screw-ups or even turn them to your advantage? Let's be damn clear. Sometimes the moments where everything falls apart can turn out truly, memorably, and positively if you keep your head. This is what separates great GMs from good GMs. The ability to turn something that isn't going how you planned into something that is truly, truly memorable. Whether it be taking 
taking something your players did that truly shocked you and running with it or recovering from a gigantic mistake? So I played in a four year long game of Exalted Second Edition in college. It was awesome. It was a great game and I really love our GM. I'm about to tell a story about our GM screwing up in one particular session. And if you're listening, I think you were a great GM, but I mean, you know, I thought this was a screw screw up. Second edition of Exalted had, you could actually put points into your character's foundational moral guidelines on a one to five scale. So you could have my character's conviction one. Okay, I changed my opinion about stuff a lot. And then you have, I am conviction five. I never, ever change my opinion. When I believe something is right, I am doing it. The game expected you to play this up and he had made it a point of emphasis in our whole story. I was playing a character who is a conviction five, compassion five character whose story long goal was to free my people who had been enslaved and to lead them as their leader back into being a glorious nation like they once were. Our whole party had hopped on this. We had done it. They were a small nation. They were getting bigger. They were getting more powerful. Everyone was having a great time. We were ruling this nation. Our GM wanted to tell a story about our characters and not about our characters as leaders of a nation or politicians. And even though the party was doing that, that's not what our GM wanted to do. And so he had the big bad of the setting, the wild hunt, the ones who were there to hunt the types of characters that we were, had the entire thing basically show up over the horizon and they have come to squash your rebellion. And we had a choice. Our choice was we could either abandon everything our characters had worked for the last year, abandon, you know, our nation to be slaughtered and our characters to live and fight for revenge and also violate everything our characters stood for, or we could have a complete TPK and all die. There was no other option. And when we expressed frustration, he was even sat us down and was like, you guys need to leave them. It's your only choice. And it's like, none of our characters would do that, especially not mine. And so what we ended up having happen is, my character who was a combat monster he was the melee combat character of our party charged the leaders of the wild hunt while our nation got away and so I ended up leaping onto one of their skyships in the lead and I smashed the skyship crashed their flagship killed dozens of them and then dove out of the flagship my image riding behind me of a giant sky bear parried the ground and then challenged their leader into one-on-one combat which lasted for in-game a full 12 hours before my character was finally killed off. I was mad about it at the time. Hardy was a little bit upset about the way we were treated, but he ended up making it a holiday for my character. Like this nation created a, you know, Corbeck Sky Bear day. And my new character was somebody who had been a follower of my old character. And it ended up being one of my favorite moments in that game and a story that we all still tell to this day, even though it happened because he railroaded all of us because he wanted to tell a different story story than his five players but he fixed it he fixed it and that's what's important here yes if you got hung up on the fact that he said the word parried the ground remember that that's what's important he fixed it i don't think he said those words yeah jared said no, i did the i ground. did i parried the ground it was fine i did jumped you? out of the sky and then i used my perfect defense on the ground and i landed safely but that's not important. We're moving on. And now we have come to the end of our episode. It is time for my last and favorite section. Helen spells, what you got for us this time? Play the weird niche character concept. Do it. You know the one. It's stashed in the back of your brain closet behind a mop because you're afraid that it's too much because someone on the internet posted once about, oh, everyone wants to play a multi-class tiefling artificer bard barbarian nowadays. I don't need all that extra glitz. I just play human fighters or ugh, another La Sombra Anarch. Why can't anyone color within the lines? No more. Eat your damn imaginary cake and then eat another imaginary cake Have your cake, bake it into a pie, empty an entire can of whipped cream onto it, and then eat it while giving your middle finger to the self-righteous, self-appointed literary establishment of monochrome gaming. There's nothing wrong with choosing to play a character type that is common or standard within a setting, whatever that means for the setting, but it doesn't make you a martyr of gaming purity. Maybe your weird concept doesn't fit the tone of a specific game that you're in. That's fair. Play it in a one-shot. Play it in a different game. Just play it. Life is short. Time is precious. I'm siding with, I think it was Neil Gaiman who said here, don't kill your darlings. Kill everything except your darlings and play on fearlessly, you perfect neck and color weirdo. 
That's all. Well, I'm Ryan, the grousy rules guy. I'm Ben, the low-key player. I'm Helen, the antagonistic storyteller. And I'm Jared, the whoops, my bad, game master. Together, we are the Starting Equipment Podcast. Come find the fun and the magic we make with the stories told in this world we create. So come down, it's only right.